topical side, but it's a topic that has been uh, near and dear on my heart um, really since uh, entering in the ministry, but it's something that uh, has, has come up over and over again throughout the years. And then it's, it's, it's like when, when COVID came, the lockdown and all of the restrictions and dealing with everything from the number of people that the health department was saying could be in a, a room and the shutting down of churches and on and on and on. And we dealt with it at our former ministry and trying to render unto Caesar that which is Caesar and to God that which is God's and how severe is this and what kind of lives are we putting it at risk and you know how it all went. And then everything beyond that from the reopening and the COVID shot and, and just so much that, that went on. And it really caused a lot of us to really hone in on what is the church really all about? Why do we come to church? What is the purpose of the church? Do we just come to church for a social gathering? Are we no different than a social club? There were churches that have closed down since the COVID lockdowns because their church was really nothing more than a religious form of national public radio or CNN. That's basically all they were. They functioned as nothing more than some sort of political or social club, and they offer no true message of the truth, and some churches close their doors. Uh, there's been statistics that have been thrown out that some churches, I don't believe this is true of Berean, but I know that uh, across the board, the average has been 30% of those who left the church, or excuse me, that were attending church prior to COVID, before the lockdown, never returned. And that's sad. But as we look at our culture and we see all the evil that's around us, I say it frequently that we need our church now more than ever. And when God said in Hebrews 10, 25, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together, as the manner of some is, and then he goes on to say, and so much the more, as ye see the day approaching. So much the more. You know, there used to be a day in our country where it was just normal and it was the regular function of a family to orient their lives around church. Sunday morning, Sunday night, and a, a midweek service of some kind. Prayer meeting, Bible study, at least three gatherings a week. Sunday school, uh, I believe it was D.L. Moody in the 1800s, if I remember right, I get my my dates mixed up, some of my church history dates mixed up, and how he promoted Sunday school. And it just seems like churches today have lost their identity. They've lost what church really is all about. And we've gotten away from what the Bible says regarding the church, and we have tried to pattern the church after a corporation or a, um, I don't know, a club of some kind some sort of social event that goes on once a week or it's patterned after uh, some other kind of uh, retail or, or marketing uh, kind of experience. And I use often the illustration of 
uh, Bill Hybels and Willow Creek and how he went out and surveyed the community and a whole bunch of unsaved people gave their input as to what the church should be and what kind of church they would want to come to. And that is completely opposite of what God says about the church. The church is for saved people. It's not that unsaved people can't come and be a part of the service, but they should recognize very quickly that they are in a place of God. That if they are coming to a church as unsaved people, there should be a clear and distinct difference between their nightclub and their social gatherings and all the other parties and all the other social experiences that they have. There should be a clear distinction between that and the church of God, the church of the living God. So in saying all that, the question tonight is why church membership? Why church membership? And why is it a big deal? Why, why, why is it important? Um, why do we even have a church membership? Uh, I have to admit that one of the ministries that we were involved in after we got married, they had a membership role of probably two or three hundred, but they probably only had a hundred that showed up. But no one ever purged the membership roles. No one ever checked on the people who weren't coming. And part of my responsibility as assistant pastor, I started a visitation program. And I was out knocking on doors, making phone calls, and visiting people. And some of those people, they hadn't been to church in over a year. But they still named that church as their, their home church. Or they had moved on to some other church, but nothing had ever been done with the membership role. So that was one of the things that we were working on, was getting the membership role in such uh, a state that it represented who was truly faithful and was involved and was active uh, at church. So the question again comes to why church membership? Uh, a little bit more background. I grew up in church. I went to church from the time that my mom was able to bring me in my diaper <laughs> in a car seat or whatever, whatever they had back in 1975. I don't know what they had. I was born on December 30th, 1974. So my dad said that I was measuring big or however that works. And so my, the, the OB doctor, according to my dad, the OB doctor said, do you want him in 1974 so you can get him as a tax break? Or do you want him to be born on just a normal? So my mom and dad decided that she was going to have me delivered by C-section on December 30th, 1974. So I was at least beneficial to my parents <laughs> for a tax break in 1974. 1975, I'm in church. I mean, I'm there. I remember just growing up going to church. It has always been a part of our family. For 48 uh, years now, it has just been church. And I, I don't know anything else. And I love it. I love coming to church. I love being a part of the church family. I love Berean Baptist Church. I love our church family. There's something special about being with God's people on a regular, consistent basis. It is unlike any other social gathering, any other group of people anywhere else in the world. There is a universal church that has not met yet. And I can relate to someone who thousands of miles away I go on a mission trip and I 
meet people who are born again, and they love the Lord, and we can worship together, and we have a bond in Christ. And that's a great thing. There is a uniqueness there, but they're still not the same as family, as your church family. There is, yes, those friends, those other believers around the world, around the nation, people that we know, friends, different places, go to other churches or whatever, but there's something about our local church that is unique and that is special. So as we talk about church membership, we have to come back a little bit to the basics, and we have to talk about, first of all, the church declared. Who authorized the church? Did the government? Did the government set up a place for religious people to get together on Sundays? No, Jesus said, I will build my church. God authorized the church. God instituted the church. In Matthew 16, as Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, Upon this rock, the bedrock truth of that statement. Yes, he used Peter as an apostle in the foundation of the church, but upon that bedrock truth, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus said, I will build my church. So, It is God who authorized the church, who instituted the church. It is God who we ultimately look to to build his church. So we must build the church God's way. As a candidate here, a couple of years ago, I preached a message on growing the church God's way. And that message, I specifically talked about how we are to go about building God's church the way God declared in his word, how we should do it according to God's way, not according to the cultural way. So we look to the word of God because God authorized his church. He instituted the church. He builds his church. We understand, as Derek just read in Acts 2, that the people that were saved at Pentecost, in a sense, as the church was birthed there in Acts 2, those people were added to the church. Now I understand again, as we come down in Acts chapter number 2, and we see there in, and I... uh, misunderstood the verse there. There it is, verse 41. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Added unto them. Yes, I understand there is a universal church that was added to, but it was them. What was the church that was added to? The church at Jerusalem. And then daily, such as should be saved, verse 47 says. So there was a body of believers that was now gathering converts, believers, in a local assembly. So the church doesn't exist by the permission of the state. It exists by the authorization of Jesus. Very clearly, God birthed his church. He calls out his people to his name. And we gather together in local assemblies awaiting the day when we will, as we sang this morning, complete in thee, with every tongue, people, with every people, tongue, tribe, and nation, one day we will gather before the bar of God, before in his courtroom, is what I'm saying, uh, not an alcohol bar, but the bar of his courtroom, his courtyard, and we will, before his throne, we will sing his praise, as we were singing in that song, Complete in Thee, before him, with every people, tongue, tribe, and nation, we will gather together and we'll sing and we'll praise his name. That church has not met. Yet, right now we meet in local assemblies. And it was God who authorized and instituted his church. So when 
the government came along and said, you can't meet. I understand that there was a disease, there was a virus that was unknown. There were some mysterious aspects to that. But when it came right down to it, the state had no authority to tell the church not to meet. When the USSR told churches back in the 80s and 90s how they were to preach and what they were to teach and how they were to organize, the pastors who agreed to the communist government's authority about the church, they had no business doing that. There was nothing that the USSR, that the communist government, could say or do to organize or to orchestrate God's church. They had no authority to do that. Those were compromising preachers who eventually, they lost their pulpits because the communist government was about stamping out any kind of religion. They wanted the state to be God and the dictator to be God on earth. So we see that movement in America. We see that spirit of the Antichrist right here in America where the church is a threat to the government. Why? Because the government wants to be God. The government wants full authority. Do we render unto Caesar that which is Caesar? Sure. But ultimately, it is God who authorizes his church so we are not responsible to Governor Holcomb or to President Biden or to any U.S. senator or U.S. representative as a local body. Yes, we do fire codes and building codes, and we have various drills for safety and security, and we render unto Caesar in those aspects and because of love and care for our fellow man. But Governor Holcomb, President Biden... Senators, Congress, representatives, they don't dictate how we order the church, how God orders his church. And I don't even get my sermons from the headquarters in some faraway city who emails me a sermon for the week. That's nonsense. And I don't use AI to produce any sermons nor are we going to put some digital image of some AI, I don't know what that church in Germany did, but they had like three digital images produced by artificial intelligence, and it, it preached a sermon in a church in Germany, and people went to watch a digital image on a screen produced by artificial intelligence. Nonsense. I don't get my messages from ChatGPT. ChatGPT does not help me at all with my messages. So we have to remember that it is God who authorized his church. And the government sees the church as a threat because the government doesn't want to submit to God's authority. And that's ultimately what it boils down to, is the government doesn't want God to be telling them what to do. And as our country as our political system becomes more and more godless, ungodly, and can I just come right out and say pagan and perverted, then the church will be seen as more and more of a threat. 
So we just have to prepare ourselves for that. We're going to continue to preach the truth, proclaim the word of God. We're going to continue to evangelize. We're, continue, we're going to continue to practice the church the way God ordered in his word. And yes, we're going to uh, go, we're going to appeal to every legal authority that we can to help us in the legal fight. But ultimately, the battle belongs unto the Lord and we're going to trust him. And it may mean persecution. We don't know. And there is, there is some measure of that already in our country. So what did Jesus say in Matthew 28 and verse 18? All power, all authority is given unto me, Jesus said. That is a bold statement. That means he is God. He is the God-man. He says all power, all authority is given unto me. He has the right to say that because he is God. He is the God-man. That's the church declared. Well, then let's look quickly at the church defined. What is the church? Here's a lengthy definition that I borrowed uh, from uh, a book I thought was uh, a very good definition. It's a little bit clunky. It's a very long one, but it encapsulates a lot of what the church is. The church is, or a local church is, a group of Christians who regularly gather in Christ's name to officially affirm and oversee one another's membership in Jesus Christ and his kingdom through gospel preaching and gospel ordinances. So in the early days of the church, we see as early as Acts chapter 1 and verse 15 that the believers, 120 of them, were gathered. By Acts chapter number 2, we see the church birth. We see the church at Jerusalem. We already looked at 3,000 and daily such as should be saved. And then in, I think it's Acts 4, there's 5,000 more that are added to the church. So we see the church in, in Jerusalem. And then we see the church spreading. In Acts 11, we see the church at Antioch where believers were first called Christians. And then we see in Paul's missionary journeys, we see churches planted in Derby, Lystra, Iconium, Pisidian, Antioch. And then we go on to his third missionary journey. And there's Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, Corinth, and Ephesus. And so in his missionary journeys, we see churches planted all around Asia Minor, all around the uh, Middle East and around the Mediterranean Sea. And Paul's desire was then to go even into Asia. We know that uh, Philip uh, led the Ethiopian eunuch to the Lord. And no doubt the apostles, as well as Philip's witness, allowed the gospel to reach sub-Saharan Africa, below Egypt and down into Africa. We know that the gospel eventually went across into Asia and uh, the Far East. We also see in the book of Revelation, chapters 2 and 3, do we not see specific churches named in Revelation 2 and 3? Thyatira, Pergamum. We see Philadelphia, Sardis, Laodicea, Ephesus, Smyrna. Specific churches. We see in the epistles, we see Corinth. Uh, Galatia, Colossae, the church at Rome. Is it not clear that God had local assemblies that he was planting by his people, gifted men, and then a called out assembly of men and women coming together and worshiping together and centering around the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread, as Acts 2 and verse 42 describes. And we know that in Acts 12, that the church had so established itself that Herod Antipas, 
began to persecute the church. We see in 1 Corinthians 5, in verse number 4, that the Corinthian church had assembled and the power of the Lord Jesus was present. In 1 Corinthians 11, in verse 18, it is referenced there, Paul talks about the Corinthian church coming together. 1 Corinthians 16, verses 1 and 2, talks about what? The tithes, the coming on the first day of the week and giving as the Lord hath laid up in store upon the first day of the week. In Acts 2, in Acts 8, Acts 9, Acts 16, Acts 18, and in Romans 6, we see the church practicing believers' baptism. And then in Acts 2 and verse 42, as well as in 1 Corinthians 11, which we'll reference later, we see the other ordinance of the church. Communion, the Lord's table being practiced. So the church is organized. The church is functioning as a church should. There's commands in 1 Corinthians 5, in Romans 12, in 2 Corinthians 6, that the church is to not formally associate with the world or conform itself to the world. So, the church, in a sense, acts like an embassy, doesn't it? What is an embassy? An embassy is a nation, or I should say there is a representative of that nation who's inside another nation. So, in a sense, the church is like an embassy. There's the kingdom of God, and the local assembly, in a sense, is like an embassy, of God's kingdom, representing God, representing Christ, declaring his word within another nation. That nation could be United States, could be anywhere, but it's literally, in a sense, within the kingdom of darkness. Because Satan is the prince of the power of the air, the ruler, the ruler of, of this present world. Though we know God is sovereign, and we know that God is providentially uh, working, and that does not, of course, exempt God from his sovereign rule and reign. But my point is that the church acts as an, as an, as an, as an embassy, as a representative of God in a world that is of another God, of another kingdom. We are representatives of God's kingdom. So we know what an embassy does. We understand the analogy there. But what does the embassy do, the representatives there? They declare the home nation's interests to a host nation. So what are we to be doing as a church? We're to be declaring, we're to be declaring the truth of God's word, the gospel, and taking it to the host nation, in a sense, the kingdom of darkness, this present evil world. We're to be declaring the truth of God's word as representatives, as called out ones, as a part of God's embassy, as ambassadors for Christ with the ministry of reconciliation, we're to be taking this message from God and declaring it to a dark, evil world around us. I like that analogy. So what is the church not? The church is not a social club. We're not the elks, the eagles, the owls, the moose, whatever other name. We're not even the American Legion or another social organization. Not that there aren't some decent, positive contributions that some of these social groups are making to society. Some, not so much. I don't know, sometimes. 
our former ministry bought out a building that was run, well, it was a banquet facility, a um, catering facility, but before that it was a Knights of Columbus that got, shot, that got shut down for illegal gambling. So sometimes I don't know about these social groups and what they're, what they're doing, what they're contributing to. But the church is not a social club. The church is not a service provider. This is the attitude that a lot of people have when it comes to the church. That the church is a service provider. Where the customer is king. God doesn't have all the authority. No, it's what the customer wants. So the church is not a business where the customer has all the authority. Some people think that the church has to provide all of the services that I'm looking for. Like when you go to a repair shop and you're looking for a full service auto repair. Where you go to a retail store or an online retail store and you're looking to make sure they have all the different departments for all the different things that you need. So we have people now that are looking, they're, 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 they're professional church shoppers or church hoppers. They're Standard for choosing a church is based on uh, the, the band, the personality of the pastor, how good looking or how young he is, and his wife, how much personality, what kind of platform skills he has, how modern or high tech the auditorium is, if the nursery rivals the local daycare, if the youth group can compete with the local entertainment center. That's what a lot of people do. We would have churches pop up, send us glossy, full-color cards on the west side of Indianapolis, and Avon is saturated with churches. But we got another one, no organ, rock band, and a nice young preacher and a good-looking wife, and it's all about how you can jam for Jesus and how the preacher will make you feel good, and they have coffee and donuts on Sunday. And that's the way the churches are planted now. It's the latest customer service Christianity, and we can borrow from Chick-fil-A, and we can market our church. And so preachers come out not knowing how to preach and how to exposit the Word of God. They come out as executive VPs, learning how to be good businessmen and how to market the gospel. So i got to stop there, because I'm going to get carried away. So what happens in our consumer culture? The church becomes about me. We conduct our Christian lives on our own terms. We begin to live in a spiritual metaverse where we create our own customized Christianity that caters to my personal wants, desires, and wishes and what makes me feel good. I cannot possibly come to church. I cannot possibly be preparing sermons and be wondering the whole time I'm preparing. I wonder what 100 and five people at Berean, I wonder what their basic felt needs are and what will make them feel good this Sunday. I couldn't possibly do that. Somebody's going to walk away mad because I didn't meet every little need or didn't make everybody feel all warm and fuzzy inside. Many times we come to church and we're actually, we need to feel pretty bad about ourselves in order to feel good. I mean, I don't like it when I go to the doctor and I go to my two-year physical for my CDL and I have other uh, appointments that are coming up as I get older, but I go to my two-year physical, and almost every single time, the doctor says, okay, you need to lose weight. Do I get mad and throw the paperwork in her face and walk out? No. I realize I got to eat better, and I got to exercise more. I don't know how these, never mind. <laughs> I won't even go there. Uh, anyway, but, but that's what we expect now. I go to church, I'm made to feel good. I need to have a 
positive message. And we need to have a celebration. I'm not saying we don't. We praise the Lord. We do praise. We just praise the Lord. But do we praise the Lord in a, in a celebration atmosphere like a pep rally or going to a ball game and cheering on our favorite team? Is that how we praise God? Is that how we celebrate Jesus and bring him down to the level of a basketball game or a concert? But that's what church has become. We're in an age of low commitment. We'll commit to Walmart Plus, Sam's Club, Costco, Disney Plus, Daily Wire, all three levels. And all access pass, we'll commit to ball teams and to leagues. But heaven forbid that we commit to God's local assembly, his church. We are just in that kind of a culture where it's low commitment. But when we really come down to it, we have to understand the local church is the authority on earth that Jesus has instituted to officially affirm and give shape to my Christian life and yours. I like that statement. So the church defined. Think about the metaphors that have been used to describe the church. Body, bride, family, branches of a vine, flock, temple, God's building, a people, even exiles, a holy nation, royal priesthood, salt of the earth, light. Those metaphors have meaning. Just a few. Body speaks to mutual dependency in different roles that function for a single purpose. Family speaks to relationship and shared identity. Temple speaks to God's indwelling spirit who guides his people in the truth and empowers, convicts, strengthens, and produces fruit. Vine speaks to our dependence on Christ and his word for life and fruitfulness. Holy nation speaks to our call to righteous and godly living and to personal and ecclesiastical separation from false teaching and worldliness. And there are many more, but we don't have time uh, to get into all of them. So the church declared, the church defined, then the church demonstrated. How does the church work? By the power of God through his word and his spirit in tender, effective, heart-changing work. The truth proclaimed and practiced. As believers, we are loved, we are chastened, we are disciplined, we are ministered to, we minister with, we serve, we worship with, we edify, we encourage, we strengthen, and we mature. The ball team doesn't do that. The local social club doesn't do that. I enjoy sports teams. I enjoy ball leagues. But it's not the same as coming to my local church and worshiping together. There's just not a comparison. Those other leagues and those other clubs, they don't do those things. Believers should be orienting their lives around other members of the church. Gathering for sermons and instruction, meals, praying, schedules that we match so that we can be together and come together. Financial and property decisions, provision for widows, sending of missionaries, recognizing the call, of the, the call to preach, the call of missionaries and laying hands on them and sending them out like with Paul and Silas and Paul and Barnabas. And then giving so many ways in which our lives should be oriented around the church and other members. So then what is church membership? It is a formal relationship between a church and a Christian. Characterized by the church's affirmation and oversight of a Christian's discipleship in the Christian's submission to living out his or her discipleship in the care of the church. I know that's a mouthful. But church membership is a formal relationship. It's a commitment. 
between a church and a Christian. The church affirms and gives oversight to the Christian's discipleship, and the Christian submits his or her discipleship within the care of the church. That's important. We don't get that anywhere else. We have friends in all kinds of different places, acquaintances, relationships, but there is a unique relationship that a believer has with other believers within his or her local church. So why church membership? Twelve quick reasons here as we come to a close. Membership matters. It is biblical. The pattern throughout Scripture of believers belonging, of all the different churches that we listed, of the Corinthian church that had to um, discipline a member, and he was sent out from their midst, indicating that the Corinthian church had an organized membership, and the unrepentant member was being cast out of that body. So, indicating once again that there was a membership. The pattern throughout Scripture of believers belonging to an ecclesia, a local assembly. The church is its members. The church is where ordinances are practiced. It is how we officially represent Jesus. It is how we declare our highest allegiance. We experience and embody the biblical images. We serve other Christians. We follow Christian leaders. We help Christian leaders lead. There's accountability and church discipline. There's structure and discipleship, and it builds a witness and invites the nations. Twelve reasons for church membership. I just went through them quickly here. I did not include on the slide, but I want to give you three more points as we wrap this up. But the church provides, and I I hesitate to use this term because I think it's overused or gets used the wrong way, but I sometimes refer to the church giving us Christian community. Okay, we can have Christian community in a broad sense. Okay, I, we all have Christian friends who attend other churches. They are maybe near and dear. Some of them we might refer to as our closest friends or our best friends or at least very good friends. That is great, and we're thankful they go faithfully to another church. And we're thankful for that friendship and that bond that we have in Christ beyond that that friendship. But that's still not the same as the local body of believers who we come and worship with on a regular, consistent basis, who we gather with. So our Christian community, yes, is broad with people who are outside of our local church, but our church family is also an area of close fellowship because we worship together and we serve and we minister together and we do those 12 things together that we just read. So as we talk about Christian community, I want to mention three things really quickly here. The Christian community, the church, is for exercising our spiritual gifts, 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 7. Christian community, the church, is for building one another up in the faith through God's word. And then thirdly, the church, Christian community, is for us as believers to intercede for each other regularly. So, people hesitate 
to join a church, to be a part of a church, because commitment, accountability, and can I, can I say it in, in a loving and, and caring way, it's because we don't want to get hurt in relationships. Because there is something near and dear about our beliefs, our convictions, our religious practices. And the people sometimes that we love the most hurt us the most. And people sometimes get burned at a church. They get hurt at a church. And it goes deep. And that can be a, sometimes, sometimes a lifelong wound. But God heals that and it doesn't exempt us from the command to be faithful and to be a part of a local church. Because we all individually have failed others. And we also are sinners. And we need each other. And I know it hurts. And there are wounds. And I know people who have been burned at churches. And it is extremely difficult in trying to minister to them and trying to welcome them back into the church. And they're very hesitant because they've been hurt before. But we have to remember that ultimately God is that Christ is the foundation of the church, the chief cornerstone. He is the Lord of his church, and our eyes must be on him. So if that church is a Bible-preaching church, doctrinally sound and preaching the whole counsel of God and is a biblical church, then we can certainly give prayer and consider if God would have us to join that church and be a part of that church family where we can be ministered to and we can minister to others. And sometimes God, need, excuse me, God uses those fellow believers as we submit to them and them to us and to the leadership that God has called to that church. It is often those very people that God uses to minister to us and to bind up those wounds and to bring healing because the world isn't doing it in the corporate meetings and the employee meetings and the ball leagues and all the other social places that people go don't minister to the spiritual needs that are ultimately the place where there needs to be the healing where there needs to be the salve the balm of gilead of the word of god where god's people come together and care for one another and are members one of another and bind up each other's wounds and carry each other's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We don't get that anywhere else. It's only in God's church that he is called. May we as a Berean church family be faithful to where God has led us, where God has called us. We know that now I'm the type... I want everybody to come to Brian. I want everybody. I want the whole city of Lafayette to be here. Um, I, again, that's just me. I know that's not possible, but I would, I would love to be knocking down walls or building new building as the Lord would allow. But I want everybody to come and be a part of what God is doing at Brian Baptist Church. I want us to be faithful in that, and I want us to see others commit to being a part of our church and to join together as a local assembly doing these things that are on the screen behind me for one another 
for the glory of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your church. Lord, we are sinners saved by grace. Lord, we have so much more that we could talk about from your word regarding the church. Lord, you died for the church. You loved the world and sent your son. But Lord, those who trust you by faith become a part of the family of God. And Lord, as children of God, may Lord, we be faithful in being a part of a local assembly such as Berean Baptist Church. May we, Lord, be faithful to love one another as members of the body the body of Christ and a local body, Lord, may we practice these elements of the local church, Lord, to edify one another, to serve one another, to love one another, and to evangelize the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you will bless as we sing and as we participate in this ordinance of the church, communion, as we reflect upon the sacrifice of your Son for our sins. And Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Derek is going to come and lead us in a stanza as we close tonight. 310, stanza number two of the old.